Welcome to the Aboisi Wine Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Clinton Lee. Today's guest has been influenced by the superb intellectual prowess of the St. Andrews University, very prestigious university in Scotland. And as many of you know, the home of Scotch whiskey, whereupon her skills were transferred and honed with an eight-year stint with the British Diplomatic Service. Thereafter, the wine world was exceptionally fortunate that all her skills were then brought to the industry. She is currently the CEO of the International Wine Club Association and holds directorships on several other organizations. Allow me to introduce to you and a warm welcome to Sophie Jump. Hello, Sophie. Thank you for joining us. Hi, good evening, Dr. Lee. Well, thank you very much. I think I'm going to employ you as my brand ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that, it sounds quite good. <laughs> I, I, I um, fear that, that um, it's not as glittering as it ought to be, and you're very humble. So thank you very much for that, Sophie. I can see where your skills certainly um, have over the years, your, your postings with the diplomatic service have given you an enormous experience of the world. Now that you are in the international wine sector and you've been there for about 20 years, how did it all begin? Oh, I say, well, actually it is, it is, it is quite a nice uh, story. So um, my father, when I was a kid, my parents split up and my father worked for Rolls-Royce actually um, on the aerospatial side. And he was posted in Southeast Asia, in, in Japan, in, in uh, Malaysia, all sorts of different places. And uh, he then used France as his base to come back to uh, Europe to see us kids. And he used to buy ruins in the South of France. And he was a very, very stingy man, um, but he loved his <laughs> wine. And he also used to smoke a lot, so he couldn't really smell anything. So I never understood how he knew what he was tasting, but he was completely crazy about wine. And he used to go with his little uh, QB uh, down to the wine petrol stations and fill them up. And then we would spend many, many happy hours um, bottling in his little cellar um, in the south of France. So, and you know, we drank the worst hangovers in my life have always been with my father because <laughs> He sort of always said, I'll never, I'll never surpass the, the double figures, the double digits. And that was when there were francs. So right. um, you, got a, you got a 10 franc bottle for your birthday, which is what the equivalent of about less than a euro now. Um, so anyway, that kindled um, my interest. Obviously, um, because of my background, I was always interested in travel, which is why I went into the diplomatic service. Um, but I was always keen to learn more about wine and sort of sign myself up to sort of little mini tastings and things like that. And um, when I joined the Foreign Office, there weren't very many women. So I found myself straight out of university based in London uh, at the Foreign Office and surrounded by, well, what then was sort of old middle-aged men. They're all younger than I am now, obviously. Um, so I always decided to, at the at 30 years old, to sort of either stay forever and 
try and be a high achiever within the diplomatic service or to leave um, and re-educate myself, which in fact is what I did. I was in Kuala Lumpur posted at the time and I applied for the OIV diploma, which is the best one I managed to find, just, right. you know, just sort of trawling, trawling through whatever we used to trawl through 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, and it was right, it was, it was uh, it was serendipitous because I got dated, I got my acceptance for the OIV diploma uh, dated on the 29th of April, which was my birthday, my 30th birthday. And I thought, well, this has to be. So I resigned from the Foreign Office. Everyone thought I was mad, including aforesaid father, um, <laughs> and shaved my head. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd be good for travel. And then embarked on the, uh, on the sort of 18-month OIV international, uh, you know, wine. I think they call it the BSC now, don't they? Right, yeah. Sorry, that was a bit lengthy. That's how it began. And that's how it began. So from... Uh having single digit wine bottling and um, having the influence of a father to the British diplomatic service where I'm sure you enjoyed many, many fine wines. Not really, to be honest. We oh, really? <laughs> we, had to, we had to drink on the Queen's birthday parties. We had to drink English wines, which were not what they are now. So believe me, it was pretty dire. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's quite useful, I would imagine. It's certainly not the quality that they are today. Absolutely. Wonderful. So um, with that, you know, um, you, you have been making enormous uh, uh, progress in, in the time that you have been in the wine world. And last year was the truly momentous launching of the One Step Beyond Conference. Tell us more about that. And why did you start it? Well, that's that's very kind. Actually, I'm, I am very interested uh, and excited about the one step beyond concept. So as as you know, I've been running the International Wine Clubs Association for well over 10 years now. Uh -huh. And that's a group that's a group of international specialists in um, direct IDC sales. Um, and for them, I've organized conferences all over the world um, focused on the marketing of wine. Um, and for years, I've, I've, I sort of realized there wasn't actually anything like that in the UK. And obviously, over years, I've gained a lot of experience, met many contexts. Things are becoming much more interesting now. You know, when I started sort of over 10 years ago, it was mainly about, you know, whether you had a red or a green brochure um, and whether yes. that would attract sales. And obviously, you know, with the mobile phone and digital media and now, you know, artificial intelligence, it's that whole direct consumer sector is really exciting. So I hooked up with Richard Siddle, um, who's very well known in the UK. I used to edit Harper's Wine and Trade, uh, mm -hmm. sorry, Wine and Trade uh, magazine, and he uh, is editor and founder of The Buyer. And we just thought, well, let's organize, let's have an event and let's see if originally it was aimed at the UK trade, you know, let's see if they're interested in becoming much more consumer centric. Because apart from a few big companies, you know, like Lathwaite's and Virgin, there weren't, you know, the D2C offering in the UK wasn't that well developed. Um, so, and I've always been very much, I've, I'm very much about the enjoyment of, of wine. Um, and, you know, I still despair a bit that we in the wine business still sort of talk about the consumer as if it's something quite unusual <laughs> that we have to deal with. Um, so anyway, we kicked off, luckily, literally 
three days before the UK lockdown, we held our inaugural conference oh. in London. Um, we had 100 seats, we sold 100 tickets. Um, we had great speakers all addressing different aspects of uh, D2C, whether it was um, you know, online e-commerce, uh, branding, et cetera. So it was a really good launch and then we were all shut down. So um, we went onto Zoom and actually that was ben very beneficial for us because after sort of four Zooms and a couple of years later, um, we've developed quite a nice um, international following. So at the moment we've got about 55% are UK drinks trade uh, mm. people, you know, from sommeliers to entree to big, you know, some of the big international corporates. Um, but we've got about 35% uh, US following now. And then 23 other countries from all sorts of wonderful places. So we're hoping to organize another event in June this year. But that, that's where it started, just with this focus that actually had come from myself very much on the consumer. And of course, since COVID, you know, it's the real buzzword now, isn't it? Consumer and D2C. Yes, absolutely. And I, I would like to congratulate you on taking um, that, that particular step because um, you know, in some of the other interviews and through research, there's been a very closely defined rise by the consumer, certainly with the you know, millennial generation and the, the Gen X, and they have a different uh, viewpoint, a different perspective of what's important to them. The packaging, is it organic? Is the methodology of winemaking uh, sustainable? And many of these were addressed by the presentations. Um, you know, vital statistics were offered, very interesting. And um, I, I, I believe that uh, your, um, you know, one step beyond conference will certainly grow um, as time continues. Now, you know, share with us this unique positioning for the consumer. Why the consumer? Um, you know, most people often thought about the producer or the marketing, but you focused on the consumer, Sophie. What was the catalyst? Um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question. And now, as I say, even two years, uh, you know, since the pandemic, it, it seems, you know, perhaps less sort of uh, different in terms of approach. But I think just, you know, first of all, from, from my sort of character, my approach to wine has always been very much about enjoying it. One of the jobs I do, I'm brand ambassador and have been working with Argentine wineries for ages. And uh, the bit I enjoy the most is are doing, because, you know, tastings and events and dinners and, you know, I mean, probably, you know, some masters of wines would be horrified at my events, but people laugh, they enjoy the wines and they remember the wines and they learn a few tips and anecdotes and I think that's what people want you know people need to just be able to find you know tools to enjoy why more like you know they like knowing that cashmere comes from a certain type of goat they don't yes. need to know what the goat eats or where it lives or sure. how long it lives but do you know what I mean they sort of I have a bit of the same approach to wine so and obviously lucky enough to work with the International Wine Clubs Association uh, that I think that was very pioneering I can't claim to have set it up myself it was set up um, by a group of guys in 1991, but that was very forward thinking then. They were all specialists in DTC. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's an area that has really interested me. And obviously now with, 
you know, with, with you know, digital media um, and all the sort of technology that's around these days, everything, you know, everything now is focused on the consumer. Everything starts with the consumer. Um, people, as we're all consumers, so we have the power and you can't just sit anymore and try and peddle your product in a market. You've got to go to them when they want, where they want, with the product they want, how they want, talk to them in a way that they want, you know, at the level they want. So it's very complex, but also um, using technology, you can pretty much achieve that these days. So I, I love the mixture of sort of high tech, you know, younguns are probably think I'm far too old to, for all this. And, you know, I don't claim to be out there in terms of the latest technology, but certainly for the wine business, there's, you know, we're, we're really only, I think, starting to sort of use this technology properly. And, and again, you know, put the consumer right in the center of our wine sales. And, and, you know, some would say in terms of producers, you know, traditionally producers, they produce their wine and say, you will like this. And if you don't, you're an idiot. Yeah, I'm, I'm exaggerating, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there is, there is, there is, a, there has been a lot of that, which is why, you know, generally people are a bit scared about drinking wine. Uh, but this is all changing now because the power is in the consumer. And if they don't like the wine, they'll tell you they don't like it and they'll go somewhere else. That's, that's very true. Uh, you know, another interview that we held with Winebid uh, with Russ Mann, it was very interesting, the statistic that he gave that the uh, amount of wine that is bought online um, is still significantly low and there's a huge area of improvement. So certainly one would imagine um, we're going to see more and more activity with the um, um, you know, new generation that's coming forward. What are your yeah, thoughts definitely. on AR and VR, augmented reality and virtual reality with the... Um, you know, consumer. Do you see more of that being applied? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, definitely. I think there's a, you know, there's, in terms of, you know, go to the packaging. I mean, lab packaging is a big thing in the wine industry, isn't it? I mean, labels, one of my friends actually from Finca de Serra did one of the first ever uh, interactive labels, which is fabulous, you know, and you put your phone and then it, it animates the label and tells the story of the wine, which is very nice. I think um, all of this technology is, you know, say it's, it's, being an old person, I say it's inevitable or unavoidable, but also it's very exciting. Um, you know, it's like when you think, when when did the mobile phone come out? It's only 15 True. years, isn't it? Yep. You know, and I'm I'm not, you know, I'm middle-aged, I'm not that old, but I spent all my life in the foreign office, I never had a computer, you know. So sort of, <laughs> all this stuff, which to us now, all this AI and uh, virtual, you know, the, oh, I've just read about it this morning, I've forgotten, I've forgotten the name of it as well, but you know, these sort of, we're using Zooms now, which are very basic, but, you know, Microsoft and Google, they're all developing, you have your own real, you'll have your own avatar that moves and sits in a meeting, won't you? And represents right, it, the meta basic. sort of thing. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's all coming. And I think what we're trying to do with One Step Beyond is, you know, throw stuff, you know, and obviously the name says that, is throw stuff out there that, you know, sort of now you think wow that's way out there but the speed of innovation technology is so fast that probably this time next year I mean two years ago hardly anybody used zoom did they and now it oh. seems like very very basic technology doesn't it certainly you know uh, circumstances um, do make changes and um, as we've been in this lockdown uh, for more than six months certainly I don't see it um, shortening in, in the foreseeable future 
our habits change. Yeah. So we're becoming more and more what we would term the extraordinary has now become the ordinary. Yeah, you know, where, where, you know, you, you just get onto the computer and you make an order and then it's delivered to your front door. So th that is now accepted as the norm. Now, having dealt with uh, Argentina and you are uh, highly respected uh, in, in the world regarding Argentinian wines, how do you see countries like that uh, grappling with um, this rapid technology change? Do they have the means and is there enough uh, uh, of concentration of, of wineries to work at it together? Because international demand will dictate that exporters will have to follow what the market demands. Um, what do you mean in terms of sort of embracing technology? Yes. Um, well, I think, you know, countries, I mean, I think these days, or particularly Argentina, I mean, they're, you know, they have, what they have that is wonderful is that they're very, very flexible. And actually Argentina, even though it's, uh, you know, been producing wine for hundreds of years, oh. is relatively new to the international game. You know, so I guess it's sort of 80s or whatever that they really started applying themselves to international markets. But I think all of these markets, you know, they're 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 all aware. You know, they're 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 as ahead of the game in terms of, you know, using modern technology and innovating um, as anyone else. And actually, I would say, the risk of irritating people, but <laughs> never stopped me before, even as a diplomat. But um, you know, I think if you're, you know, it's like having a blank piece of paper, isn't it? It's much easier if you're sort of new at something to adopt new things whereas if you've done something always the same for 200 years you know and then someone comes along and says actually all of that nobody's really interested anymore you know then it is a massive up it's like big companies isn't it that become behemoths um, and small companies and nimbler are more adapting so I don't you know in terms of sort of the newer guys on the scene like Argentina I guess you know, Chile, whatever, I think, you know, it's actually an opportunity for them because they're, you know, they're, they're probably going to be able to react a lot quicker in terms of, you know, sort of complying with it, what consumers expect. And Argentina particularly is a very consumer friendly wine, you know, I mean, if you can't flog a wine with, you know, that comes from a place like that, <laughs> plus being brilliant wines, and, you know, their labels are great and the people are fabulous and they're good looking, you know, so the girls are beautiful, the guys are sexy. So, you know, they've got everything. <laughs> they do. They do have everything. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a thoroughly uh, enjoyable time and really opened my eyes. And the backdrop that you have is that of the Andes. Is that it which is. particular vineyard is that? Uh, so that's Chicana, which is based in Agrello in Mendoza, which is one of my uh, sort of long-term clients. And they're, it's interesting, actually, going back to that, you know, the point you made, they started, I've been with them for about 10 years, so they only started planting uh, at the beginning of uh, this millennium. So you forget with Argentina, you know, they're these wineries that have only actually been producing 15 years and you see the quality, but they started right from the beginning with this concept of organic, biodynamic, sustainable hmm. uh, farming. And the poor, you know, the owner and the winemaker used to come to the UK even up to about five years ago and they'd leave in tears because we'd all say, you know, stuff your organic produce, you know, all you'll do is collect dust. Um, and of course, now they're one of the leading uh, guys in this area in Argentina. And um, 
it's brilliant and the wines are utterly amazing you know you you forget but all this work with the soil and the sustainability of course it translates in the grapes i mean some of the you know more and more in argentina is very good at this more and more you know they're using less oak so it's it, it, they're more natural wines and you really do get the impression with these sort of wines that you're just drinking you know delicious fermented juice because there's nothing else virtually added I, I wouldn't say that we're not we're not going down the natural path straight away right, so. right right yeah this is this is chocolate anyway that's the view from the office beautiful beautiful <laughs> you know sophie you wear many caps you know as as a director of the jumpstart planet first the international wine club association how do you manage to devote your scarce resource of time to all of these different companies and and what are the obstacles that you do face in terms of um, guesses? yeah it's a good question i mean people i think the the very you know it's really simple i actually think that my only real talent is um organ organized you know i write lists of lists of lists and <laughs> if i've done something and it's not gone the list i put it on the list and cross it out this is how bad i am and i think you know actually you know, so I can sort of in a morning, I can be dealing with five or six different topics at the same time, you know, one with a tasting event here and one with, you know, a label there. And actually, um, you know, I think that's how I can do it. Probably the the second and perhaps what should be the first thing is that I do not have children. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I don't have my life is really streamed down and I, I live in a lovely small flat in Pimlico. You know, I don't need to spend my time you know, sort of fixing roofs and plumbing and right. stuff like that. We'll have to look after kids. Of course. Um, so I probably have five times more time on my hand than the normal person in my situation in, in my in their time of life. So I know a lot of my friends do actually envy that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, as as do my friends. You know, they they, <laughs> they are those that um, you know have opted for that for that family life and and you know as with anything. There's always the good and the bad that goes with it. You know, there's the trade-off. You know, so at the at St Andrews, you know, you studied um, Spanish. I did. And I did French, Spanish, and German. Actually, yes, I went to I went to St Andrews to study uh, French and German language and literature. Um, but now this is the sort of slapdash person I am because I hadn't actually read the prospectus very well. I got there and I. <laughs> I'm, I signed in and they said, what's your third subject? And I was like, oops, because in Scotland, you have to do three subjects for the first two years because they're all four year degrees. So I was like, oh, give me another language. Anyway, no, I had to go and persuade the Spanish uh, prof that I, because they actually, they did this crash course whereby in the first year you could learn, uh, you could go up to A-level Spanish and do the first year at university within one year. So I well, did marvelous. very well. And then right. I dropped German and thank goodness, you know, cause I wouldn't have been able to, to uh, work. I don't think so efficiently in Argentina. Although I, you know, when I arrived in Argentina, my Spanish, I got my degree, but I'd never actually really practiced my Spanish and having learned it so quickly. But when you're trying to get money out of Argentine winemakers, you have to pick it up fast. <laughs> <laughs> and they oh, won't mind me saying that if any of them ever listen. <laughs> No, no, but it's absolutely true. I mean, for many of the viewers, they may not be aware that uh, in Argentina, there are actually two currencies, you know, the official and the <laughs> yes. blue and the blue. So well, uh, there's, there's, there's gray, actually, there's, uh, there's three at the moment. Oh, but... <laughs> there's gray as well. Right, right. Something like the variation on the wine color. But, 
you know, they're, they're very tenacious. They, they live under very strenuous economic um, conditions, and yet they still make it happen. So, you know, I, I certainly salute and congratulate the Argentinian winemakers. Um, yeah, I admire them, tenacity. apart from the yes. amazing. I mean, the, you know, they, the, my pals say this, it's amazing. You wake up in the morning and honestly, until you've looked at the bank or the, you know, the, the stock market, you don't know whether you're a rich man or a poor man. But the, the, the resilience is amazing. And through all this, I should stop about Argentina and get very excited. But through all this, the wines are just utterly stunning. You know, it's- well, They are, they are. And, and, and I, I don't think it's, it's all bad that we do spend a bit of time on Argentina because um, in, in, in many uh, spheres, they're not highly regarded as they should be. And I think that time will change where more and more of the consumer will appreciate what is being produced in Argentina. Yeah, it's, cha it's definitely changed a lot. I mean, I've been near 20 years now, next year it'll be 20 years that I've been, um, you know, I trotted out there naively. That was my dream when I finished my OIV diploma and various other jobs. I thought I'm going to go to Argentina and I'm going to pick up a load of fabulous baby wineries and I'm going to come to the UK and, uh, you know, sell all these amazing wines. And first of all, a lot of the wines in Argentina were really horrid. I, used, <laughs> I spent my days going around, to, you know, with sort of blackened teeth that I thought would, would, you know, fall out instantly. And then, of course, the UK market is utterly horrible. So I got here with my wares and, you know, traipsed around the streets. And, uh, there are, you know, it, it is a very, very hard market to work in, and it is now. So, um, but Argentina... I realized we'd made it in Argentina when my favorite soap, um, I shouldn't admit to watching these terrible soaps, but they're my, they're my, um, my secret pleasure. And uh, one day, this is about three years ago, one of the characters, they're Northerners, um, and they go into the pub. It's all set around a pub, obviously. One of the character goes in, she goes, ooh, I'll have a glass of Malbec. And I thought, yes! <laughs> <laughs> We've made it, so there we are. But but I think generally in a lot of countries, yeah, still there's a lot to do with the brand and reputation of the country, but it's gonna come fast because the wines are brilliant. Oh yes, oh yes. You know, and talking about that, you know, your role. So as the CEO of the International you know, Wine Club Association, what impact is COVID having on the association and what are you doing to alleviate these challenges? Well, I'm doing, you know, obviously, as I say, that the association has historically and always been about events. You know, it's it's about competitors getting together, people working in the same space, getting together and, and honestly sharing information from big companies to small companies. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got members from about 23 different companies. So traditionally, we've had two, um, two events a year, as I say, all over. So, you know, I've I've done what everybody's done is just sort of translated onto zoom so i've been doing zoom events but you know we're, we're a small group and we're all people that sort of need to feed off each other i mean the wine world is very sociable isn't it so you know nothing nothing beats a sort of sit together over a glass of wine it's, it, i think you know the meetings in our work as long as you've got a pen and paper and you write down just in case you forget your brilliant ideas um it does work well so We've had Zooms and, and our members have been very patient and we've enjoyed good attendance and participation. But I really think, you know, everyone is sick to death, aren't they, of the, um, 
the sort of you know monthly and and, and mundane stuff and and however good you are it's quite hard you know to sort of keep people's interests isn't it so my plan uh, and this is scheduled is to hold an event in may which will be a montpellier um, and so far all the members are, are very excited about it so we have to plan ahead whilst um, you know keeping our excitement under wraps a little bit at the moment I think that's the way I'm trying to sort of live my professional and my personal life right uh, I, I and, and I, I certainly hope that uh, it will come come to fruition um, you know I just wanted to mention um, as you said we're a very sociable lot uh, those in the wine industry and I share with students and newcomers to the industry that they have chosen wisely because in my years of experience whether you're dealing with a winemaker or an importer um, or just a, a fellow uh, aficionado or expert we all share our experiences and and it's given openly and with a good heart you know, whereas certain industries, there's always the smoke and mirrors and, and they sort of cling on to um, certain aspects they don't want to share. But I found with the wine industry, we're, we're, we're very open and we, we do share an enormous amount and welcome outsiders. So I think so, it's important. But, it, you know, if you work, if you work in wine, like we all do in various shapes and forms, and, and you're not an outgoing person and you don't enjoy social activity and you don't enjoy getting on with people and having some fun then I don't know just you know people always say when I do tasting say oh that was you know it's brilliant you were so good and I say well you know if I can't give you a few bottles of delicious wine and you go away with a smile on your face then I'm really really rubbish at my job so. <laughs> <laughs> really rubbish <laughs> Sophie clearly you're a dynamic go-getter with many echoing you know those sentiments What's your personal goal in the next five years? Oh, I say my personal. Well, you know, part of me would say, but it sounds wrong for this sort of thing. You know, I sort of think if I if I didn't, you know, because I've always worked since I was a kid and I've always, you know, sort of kept myself. So my my profession has come both from interests. I've been lucky. I've had, you know, I've had I've had two big interests and passions in my life. But um I sort of think if I didn't have to, you know, earn a living, would I still work? Uh, but half the time, I don't really know whether I'm working or not. So it's quite hard to answer. I don't have, you know, being honest, I think at the moment, I just want to, um, you know, we've had two really sort of difficult years. And I think my, you know, my God, I, I just want to do things better. I want to try and sort of, yeah, I think everyone does, don't you? You want, to, if, if you're doing something well and people say you're doing it well, you think, okay, well, I want to do it better perhaps not better but differently yes. um so i think you know sort of just i i don't have specific i think i'm where i want to be at my stage of life um surrounded by great contacts the great thing about sort of having worked for a while in industry is it's just no you know network i love networking so you know the more i can do that i, I hooked up a friend actually with a chef for some big do she's doing on friday and she was <laughs> nearly in tears on on saturday night saying i can't find anyone anyway you know so <laughs> i like doing that i think it's sort of more of the same but just you know try and be better perhaps you know the 10 percent rule just try and do maybe inject 10 percent sort of difference into everything I do rather than just doing the same stuff I don't, sorry yeah. I'm rambling now not at all I mean we're very social animals and you're right you know it is the contact you know oh who you know who do we know in Portugal 
you know, uh, we have a friend going up to the Douro, want to make it a spectacular experience for them. So I, un I fully understand um, where you come from. So, you know, the, the last question I'd like to ask you, Sophie, is knowing what you know now, what advice would you give a younger you? Oh, right. Um, um, oh, that's quite a hard one, really. Well, I had to give I think you one the hard trouble one. Is if, I say, if I say, you know, I sort of live, that's quite a hard one. I think I might change your question because if I say it in a personal way, it won't be right. very useful um, because, you know, you, you're wanting to talk to people who are embarking on, on this sort of career or thinking about it. And I do speak to a lot of people who say, you know, how do you do it? What should you do? I mean, I think in terms of, you know, what I might do personally, and then it, it sounds arrogant to say, well, I wouldn't change much, but that's just the way Not I at all. think anyway. Not at all. Just because I think there's no point anyway dwelling in the past, but I think for somebody, somebody young that you know wanting to, um, you know, enter this career, whether you know whether it's a sommelier or as an educator or as or, you know a marketer like me, I think you just have to ask yourself if you if you're dealing with a product, if you really love, you know, you love whatever it is you love about wine. I think. It's a very, it's a tough, it, from the outside, it looks very glamorous and very easy. It's not, it's, a, it's not an obvious career to have um, to earn a fast buck. It's not an obvious career to have uh, in terms of, you know, sort of uh, progression and everything else like that. But if, if you are dedicated to the cause, i.e., you know, you just bloody love wine, then go for it. And also the great thing is, you know, I've worked for myself for the last um, 15 years. It's brilliant. You know, it depends what your objectives are, isn't yes. it? If you, want a, yes. if you want a fast buck and an easy life, then don't join the wine business. Absolutely if, true. If you like wine and you like people, in fact, I've had the two poorest careers on the planet. People always say, you know, well, how, how do you make a small fortune as a diplomat where you join the service with a large fortune? And uh, <laughs> wine's pretty much the same, but if you're after quality of life, and the great thing I didn't realize about wine and wine people is that they are, I've met so many brilliant people and they're, they're, they're clever, they're erudite, um, they're generous in spirit, uh, they're interesting, they're fun. And there aren't a lot of sectors where you get these sort of people. People just think, oh, you just sip around and, and, and you know, spit and act like a toff, but that you don't, and you travel, you can, you can work in technology. You know, there's yes. so many aspects to it. So if, if you love wine and you also love something else, shove the two together and you'll find some way of making a living that will be fun. That is absolutely true. Absolutely true. So, Sophie, you have been a very warm, energetic, and thank you for sharing your experiences with us. And on behalf of Atwazi, it's just been brilliant. Oh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank, thank you very much for, for wanting to talk to me and speak to me. We'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Sophie. You've been listening to Wine Buzz Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a review or share it with a friend. Apwazi is an online wine and spirit institution dedicated to promoting culture and diversity through the world of education. If you're looking to get started, we have a free online course that we are giving out to all our listeners. For more information, head to apwazi.com. 
apwasi.com. That's apwasi.com. Okay, you'll spend $25 on the wine that you know and that you like. Let's knock five bucks off of that. Let's make it $20. Okay. Why don't you go into the wine store, pick something that just looks interesting that you haven't tried before. And if it's $20 and under, buy it, try it, see if you like it, and then pair it with whatever meal you want. If it didn't work, you might not finish the wine all in that one day, make a different meal the next day and try it again. And you know what? If you don't like it, that's fine. It's equally as important to know why you don't like something as why you do like something. And articulating that is incredibly important or else, especially in the world of wine, or else you're never really going to find additional things that you like. If you don't like high tannins and you can't tell me that you don't like high tannins, how am I supposed to know that? <laughs> that is so true. You know, Renee, Renee Sferasa, you <laughs> mentioned that you didn't make that 20, that list of 20 under 20 or 30 under 30. I can tell you it's their loss because it's quite abundantly clear and gleaming and glistening and brilliant that all those experiences from the environment to Treviso to to working with nonprofits and uh, importer and working with LCBO to literally having your feet, you know, burning, serving people has stood you in great stead. And now you are now well and truly rounded to tackle <laughs> the world of wine. It's Thank been you. a pleasure. It's been a Thank pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. And, and we will definitely be in touch again. And I'm sure we look forward to that, Renee. Thank you so much. Ditto. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.